Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel with me on the show as always this Monday, December 14th. And we have the silly season officially here. We also have signing day here. We also have a college football game against maybe Colorado, maybe USC. Don't really know yet. We're going to break it all down here on the podcast. But first, I want to remind everyone out there, you could subscribe to DuckTerritory.com today for 60% off an annual VIP membership. $42.96 gets you all access to Oregon information, to 24-7 sports VIP information. You get to read our stuff. You get to read every other team out there on the network stuff for the next year, next 365 days. So you get the signing day, which is Wednesday. You get the last bit of this regular season for football, a bowl game. You get college basketball for the men and the women. You get recruiting for both of those. You get spring football coverage. You get spring recruiting coverage, summer recruiting coverage, all of next football season's coverage, and essentially almost all of next year's recruiting coverage for just $42.96. Saves a huge chunk of money. Okay, Eric, where do we begin? Because... Mario Cristobal is linked to Auburn's head coaching job now that Gus Malzahn has been fired. We have Joe Moorhead being linked to jobs. We have Andy Avalos being linked to jobs. We have Joe Salavea being linked to jobs. We don't know who Oregon's playing. Well, we know it's Colorado, but that could change. But we don't know when the deadline is for that if they're playing in the conference championship game. And, oh, by the way, uh, we also have signing day on Wednesday. Like, this is, I think, the peak of the silly season for college football. I was just going to say, have we ever known so little? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you ran through the things we don't actually know, and it's basically everything. <laughs> I mean, and, and, I, and I say that sort of facetiously because we have, I guess, guesstimates. And the thing that the thing that's most frustrating is that that Oregon could, in theory, and Friday be playing for a Pac-12 conference championship game, and we don't know when they're going to know one way or the other because the Pac-12 has not set as of about 9 a.m. Monday morning has not set a deadline for when Washington has to determine <laughs> when they're, whether or not they're um, going to be able to play USC. And so USC is currently preparing for Oregon, Washington or Oregon is currently preparing for what, uh, well, Colorado or USC. So um, it is, and this, wacky. is, <laughs> this, is wacky. What's so, this is what's so frustrating is that um I asked the league sun Saturday night. I got an email very late Saturday morning, Saturday evening, early Sunday morning from the league saying uh, there is no real concrete decision yet on when Washington has to make it known that they could play or not because they're working through multiple scenarios. And they're like, as you understand, it's probably really, it's really complicated and we're figuring this out. We'll have more later. John Wilner of the Mercury news, the most, I think, highly respected inside connected reporter for them, a pack 12 standpoint. Yep. He reported Monday that they still haven't made a decision and they probably won't make a decision uh, for the next couple of days about when USC has to know uh, who they're playing. And this is if, if I was Mario Cristobal and I was frustrated about my chances of getting in the college football playoff and being able to foot, you know, the best product possible. These are the reasons why I would potentially leave Oregon because the, the conference as a whole at the start of the year was a joke. The, the, the way they've handled 
playing in 2020 and scheduling and all of that and the games and the timeline, it, it, it very it comes it comes off very amateurish as if they were just following the lead of the Big Ten. And then, you know, the protocols that they they get, you know, they we, we start finding out there's there's f- false negatives or uh, false positives. Uh, we, we also get, you know, we, we see how uh, the league is, is scheduling, you know, Arizona state USC week one. Like why was that ga- game played? That's like, the, that's like the two best teams in the PAC 12 South, at least we thought going into the year uh, we see a, a Washington team go one and one against PAC 12 North opponents doesn't leave home and get awarded the PAC 12 North championship because they didn't play Oregon uh, at the end of the year to, see who would win, you know, when both teams had, had an equal right to winning the league. And now all of a sudden the league is coming out and saying, well, we don't really know who USC is going to play. We think it's Washington, but they aren't healthy right now. We don't really know what the kind of timeline we're going to give them to figure out if they're healthy or not. And it's, if, if I was a coach, this is one of the biggest reasons why I would want to leave the program. And I think it's probably one of the reasons why Mario Cristobal is at least somewhat entertaining interest from Auburn because the conference is run as a joke. There's no leadership, like literally none. And it's kind of astounding that this is where we're at. And I know that you can make the excuses of the COVID scenario, but it's not like other conferences are quite back into the corner like the Pac-12 is and then don't have the backbone to like figure something out. Like how, how is there not, I think I made this point last week, how are there not like 50 contingency plans in place? You know, like how, how do we get to the point here where I mean, we knew based upon what had happened the first four or five weeks of the season, nine cancellations. We knew that there was a high likelihood that there could be a team that was in Washington's shoes right now that could be in this exact position. And yet the Pac-12 had no plan. And the Pac-12 continues to have no plan. They've now had 72 hours to figure out, okay, Oregon-Washington didn't get played. We're going to say Washington's a Pac-12 champion. Is there a way Washington can still play in this game? I mean, I just, it's almost mind blowing. And you're right. Like you, you start to see, I mean, okay. So here's, here's how I look at it. Like you wondered for a while here, how the PAC 12 kind of fell behind some of these other power conferences. Well, when you get put into the stress test, that is a season impacted by a pandemic, by the coronavirus like this, you kind of get to see what the leadership looks like. And the PAC 12 has failed at basically every turn. And it's very, very evident to me, and I think anyone that pays close attention, and certainly, like, I don't think there's a, a school or a fan base out West that appreciates the leadership of this conference because it's just flat out stinks. And you're right, Matt. This is the issue you run into here when you have Larry Scott, who clearly has no handle on what he's doing at all. I mean, what, what, is, what is this guy? I mean, he, he seems to be completely clueless on this stuff when he's leading the conference and you're, you, it makes sense why the conference is kind of starting to flail into a position here where USC is unbeaten heading into its conference championship game and nowhere to be seen in the college football playoff discussion at all. Um, they could go out and beat who knows Oregon or Washington on Friday and it would have no bearing at all, zero bearing on anything nationally. And you're right. Like, if you're Mario Cristobal or some of these other high-profile coaches that have a chance to, and really Cristobal is the only one in my mind that has positioned itself himself to be attractive for some of these big jobs, like an Auburn job. Um, 
right now because of the recruiting he's done. And he's, it makes sense. It makes sense why he would be going, huh, do I have a shot to actually compete for a national championship playing here under the current four team playoff? It seems like the Pac 12 is going to continue to position itself to be in the worst possible spot to maneuver its way into any sort of viability for a championship. And oh, by the way, the SEC just signed on to some sort of massive, massive deal with ESPN for its television rights, which is going to be majorly beneficial for the sustainability of those programs. While again, the Pac-12 is kind of just hanging out in no man's land. It's frustrating. It's very, very frustrating. And again, you, like I said, when I started this, it's like, you, you know, this was the, the great stress test to kind of see what the Pact of Leadership would look like under these circumstances, and they continue to fail over and over again. And I expect, and we'll talk about this in a second here, that our Cristobal will entertain the concept of, of taking the Auburn job. He'll inter- entertain other jobs down the line, but we'll stick with Oregon because he sees the potential of being the dominant power out West and what that can mean. At the same time, you start wondering here, in a regular year, let's say, like, does the Pac-12 have any viability to actually compete for a national championship, or is it almost so far gone now because of what's going up at the, on at the top? I still, I, I contend that the answer is yes, but it, there's zero, zero room for error right now, and that is not the case at other conferences that are run under much better leadership. The SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, clearly to the Big 12, provide themselves a lot more room for error, a lot more margin for error than the Pac-12 does for a variety of reasons. But I think in large part, just because the conference commissioner in the Pac-12 is not good at his job, point blank. Okay, so let's set the table here. Auburn fired Gus Malls on Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning on the plains of Auburn. Um, that has now opened up the door for a bunch of names, but I think the three names that probably have really um, dominated the discussion point right now from a from a, a reporting standpoint and also from a rumor mill, if you will, type discussion is there's three coaches here. Hugh Freeze um, at Liberty, a guy that gave a bunch of issues to SEC teams when he was with Ole Miss. Um, We also know of Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator at Auburn, which would be an interesting decision of firing the head coach and promoting the DC to become the head coach. And then there's also Mario Cristobal. Um, there are other names out there like Steve Sarkeesian, Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, Josh Heupel. Um, you go down the list. Kiffin is another name. Um, Brent Venables. But I think the main three probably are right now are Kevin Steele, Mario Cristobal, and Hugh Freeze. And I get the interest in Oregon. It's crystal ball. Um, I, I, I see that. I also and understand why crystal ball would be interested in the SEC because look, crystal ball is like, like any coach, the ultimate competitor. They want to prove at the highest level 
that they are as good as they think they are. And just like any other athlete would. And going to the SEC and winning in the SEC would do that. It would show that you are at the, you know, the pinnacle of your sport, your profession. And I look at this though and think, at what cost though do you want to go down that path of showing that you're at the highest peak? Because the fact of the matter is this, Crystal Ball has, if, if he went to Auburn, and I'm not saying one way or the other, but if he went to Auburn, he would be the second tier school in his own state, second to Alabama. Yes, there are a good amount of fans in Auburn, but when you think of the state of Alabama for football, the first thing everyone thinks of is the Roll Tide, the Crimson Tide, and Nick Saban. And secondly, you would have to compete against him every single day in recruiting and in, on the field. On top of that, you also have to compete against LSU. And while they are a dysfunction this season, every year they are extremely difficult to play against, every single season. And last time I checked, Auburn and Georgia also play every year. So now you're playing probably the best SEC East team every season. And in on your regular season schedule, three teams that, and in any given year, one of which will be a top five team, one of which will be a top 10 team, and the other one will be a top 20 team, top 25 team. Matt, some years, two or three of those could be top 10 teams at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Legitimately. Legitimately. And then at the same time, you still have to throw in Texas A&M, who's always a top 25-ish team. This year, they're a top 10 team. You still have to throw in the fact that, okay, if you do emerge out of the, the West division, and let's say you do beat Georgia and they're not in the playoff, you're probably going to have to play a Florida, who's also a top 25 team. And all the while, you're having to compete against Clemson, who's in that recruiting ground, Miami, who's in that recruiting ground, Florida State, who's in that recruiting ground, Texas A&M, I mentioned they have to recruit against them. Texas, you have to recruit against... North Carolina is turning into a school that's a hot recruiting name. And it becomes this, this deal of like, at what cost, at what expense do you want to put yourself through that ringer? Where if you stay out West, your main competition is basically a dysfunctional USC. Like, sure, there aren't as many elite recruits out there, but out West as there are in the South, but you've proven that you can go into the South and get players you've to come to Oregon. And you've proven that, and we've seen it play out at at Oregon, and, and we've seen it with Washington. Uh, I, I would believe it with USC, too. If you lose one game of the year in a normal year and you go 11-1 and one and win your conference, you're in the college football playoff. And if you go 10-2 and two and win, you're, you've put yourself in a position where, more than likely, you're going to be playing for a chance to play in the Rose Bowl. And it's like, at what cost does this setup where it's – yeah, you, you've got the nice house and you've got the, 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 the nice car and all the fancy things inside of it, but the stress to upkeep that far outweighs staying out west. Let me come with, let's come at this from a little different angle here, Matt. Um, Gus Mombazam was making almost $7 million a year at Auburn, and his buyout is like $49 million or something like that. Um, ridiculous money. Uh, let's say Auburn decides Mario Cristobal is who they want and they are to offer something 
comparable to Gus Malzahn. And let's say Mario Cristobal says, hey, if the contract is equal, I'm staying in Eugene. I want to be in Eugene, but that money is too much to turn down. Currently, Cristobal is making not even half that. Like if you're Oregon, what, what's, your, what's your next move? Because you're kind of put into a tough spot here of, can you really match a four, four and a half million dollar contract increase right now? And let me tie this on here. That makes things a little more interesting. I think that decision, and I, and I do know Oregon, we, we've got a story up on the site. John Canzano reported Oregon is, is working on a contract extension with Mark Cristobal as we speak. Um, obviously, that is something that they want to get done to avoid these sort of scenarios where an SEC school like an Auburn comes in and poaches him. But I will say this conversation, I think, is a little easier if Oregon is 5-0 and right now and is preparing to play USC without any question marks going into the Pac-12 championship game rather than a team that started out 3-0 and and has lost two straight games to Pac-12 North teams that are far less talented on the field. Um, like, like if you're Oregon, like what's your, what's your number? Do you match almost anything? Cause you think he's the, he's the guy to keep around or do you go, well, there becomes a certain line in the sand. I don't know what that number is where you just go like, sorry, Mario, like that's too much money for us to uphold. Yeah. That I don't know what that number is. Yeah. I mean, um, I do think I'm just going to go out and say, like, if Auburn were to come out here and offer what they offered to Gus Malzahn to Mario Cristobal of eight million or eight point a little bit above eight million, if I'm Oregon, I let him walk because he hasn't reached that level of a head coach yet in my mind. And the schools are different. The SEC prints money because of their lucrative TV deal. I mean, we talked about this earlier on the podcast last week that when the Washington game got canceled. Social media was talking more about how the SEC linked a new TV deal with ABC and ESPN to have their Game of the Week broadcast on those networks and how much money they were making off of that opposed to something in this season happening in which the Pac-12 North champion would not be decided in the predicament that we're now in. That was the start of it. And more people were, were wanting to talk about the SEC's new TV deal with ESPN and ABC than the Pac-12 North champion now you know, backing out and backing their way into the call the, the, the Pac-12 championship game. And so we know this, that without the help of Phil Knight and Pat Kilkenny and other highly influential boosters at Oregon, they can't offer the same amount of money that the SEC can, because they just don't bring in that same amount of money. And that gets to a point where if, if Mario Cristobal asks for what Auburn would ask of, Gus Malzahn's contract to stay at Oregon. Personally, that's where I would just walk away. And is it is that the is the number even below that? I don't know. And I don't think it would get to that though. I don't. And this is where it gets murky in that I don't think Cristobal wants to leave Oregon. I haven't heard he wants to leave Oregon. I haven't heard that he's pissed off and he's fed up with Oregon and he needs all these demands met to stay. Like. He wants to be fairly compensated. We know he's underpaid. He's yes. undervalued at Oregon. But is he a top 10 level coach in the country? I think he gets there eventually. But as of today, I don't know. I don't think a top 10 level coach loses to Cal on the road in which they don't score in the second half. 
and they get vastly outcoached. I don't think a th- you know a top ten coach in the country goes to Oregon State and gets outcoached and loses that game in the manner that they did. Um, lack of execution, lack of play, lack of performance. Can Cristobal become a top ten coach? I think he will. He's not one right now, though, and that's the game of chicken that these two sides are going to have to play. Because look, we we heard this back in, in January, February that Oregon was working on a contract extension. COVID hit. Discussion stalled. Now it seems like, at least by the reporting of John Canzano, and I would I would trust that. And we've heard, you know, not definitively that contracts discussions are back up again, but it's being out there now that they are. That's where the game of chicken is going to have to come between both sides. Is how how much is Oregon willing to pay and get good value out of it? I think they'll come to a you know an agreement, and it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if you know. This gets announced sometime this weekend um, that, that a deal gets done because signing day is here. It probably would be beneficial if it happened today or tomorrow before signing day. But who knows if they can work that quickly. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, it is silly season. And I do think from a Duck fan perspective, they do need to don't sit here and freak out over every single little bit of news because some of this does come from a side of the business in which it's agents trying yep. to trying to stir up as much in, as much interest from other schools as possible to get their clients the maximum amount of money that they can make whether it's at a new job or a current job and it's silly season and everyone's going to know somebody everyone's going to know this person who knows that person who knows this coach or knows this agent and he's going to leave and yada, yada, yada. And I think sometimes it's just take a break. Let's think about this logically. Like Cristobal could go and I'm not saying he's, there's no chance he leaves. Uh, there is a chance, but at the same time, like what's the most logical path? What, what makes the most sense? Let's get a little bit of more money from Mario Cristobal, keep him out of Oregon, easiest path to get to the college football playoff, go make a, bunch load of money but you could be gone in three years knowing auburn's coaching history with how quickly they fire coaches yeah it's gonna be pretty interesting to see how this plays out and i think at the end of this one way or the other mario crystal is gonna be paid a lot more than he's making right now <laughs> very true <laughs> so the winner in this is mario Cristobal, and it's yeah, either gonna his, be- his bank account will be <laughs> will be very very high uh we'll be very very excited about that as well yeah. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, let's shift gears here for a second. From a recruiting standpoint, we know National Signing Day is on Wednesday. I think watching this team play, Eric, um, what is the position that you are most concerned about that needs to get rectified before next season through recruiting or player development? I, I think, honestly, the defensive line, and I say that, after what was a really impressive performance against California, right? Um, best performance of the season without a doubt. But you have to recognize Austin Folio is a senior. And again, there's a possibility he returns. But even if he doesn't, you want to find replacements long-term. Jordan Scott, been a bit of a disappointment this season, I think most would agree. But he is still a key part of this. You feel really good about Kayvon Thibodeau, but his last season at Oregon could be 2021, probably will be, should be 2021. Um, that'll be the first year he's eligible to leave for the draft. Um, and while there have been moments, certainly, from Brandon Dorless, Christian Williams, um, 
those sort of players. Braden Swinson, I think, has had a couple moments out there that have been at least like, okay, he can play at this level. He'll be a player down the line. You still need to address this group. And um, I think especially a couple big body interior guys are needed in this class. And to Oregon's credit, you've got a Keanu Williams who certainly fits the bill there. 6'5", 290, I think he can play a couple of different spots. You've got players on the roster who are currently, I won't say redshirting because I don't think that's the right word this year, but currently not playing as they kind of prepare for bigger roles going forward. But I think you also look at it and go like, there's kind of a scarcity in Oregon's 2021 class right now for that type of body type. Those big 290 plus kids that come in and are physically imposing and ready to go. Um, and you look around, and again, we were just talking about the SEC and, and other programs that Mara Cristobal will look for. I don't think he looks to leave purely because the defensive linemen are easier to land in certain parts of the country because it's an equal playing field and it's not like there are players at Washington and USC and Utah, et cetera, et cetera, that they're just landing year in, year out that are bigger and stronger than Oregon, although they do maybe, like a school like Utah seems to do really well at that position group. But I do look at Oregon and think, like, to me, that's an area where it has not been a huge strength in 2020. In fact, you probably argue it was the biggest weakness in 2020. And they've only really addressed it with one guy right now. And you're getting to the point here in this cycle where a lot of these kids are going to finalize their recruitment on Wednesday, the first day for National Signing Day. Um, or the, we should say the first National Signing Day period. Um, and you got to think, whether it's now or in February, Oregon, in my mind, needs to address that a little more greatly just because they need, they're, you know, they've got some young players. They just aren't very proven, but you need more big bodies is my, is my stance. And especially given some of the issues we've seen against the run this year, um, it just hasn't been very good. Oregon's recruiting class currently holds 20 verbal commitments. Their national ranking is sixth in the country. First among Pac-12 schools, uh, they have about a 26-point lead over the USC Trojans, who have one fewer verbal commitment than the Oregon Ducks at 19. Cal is considerably further down the list than Oregon. I mean, Oregon is 72 points higher than the Golden Bears, who are currently ranked third in the, in the Pac-12 conference with 18 verbal commitments, four four-stars, in that class, Oregon has 15 four stars that comes on the heels of this national ranking and, and Pac-12 ranking of three straight weeks in which a, a prospect committed to Oregon has flipped to a different school. Well, at least two have flipped. Jadarius Perkins hasn't, but I don't know if people are really expecting Jadarius Perkins as of right now to land back in Eugene. Uh, Oregon has... Let me see here. I'm going to count really quickly. Five guys ranked inside the top 100, which is just phenomenal. They've got four, uh, three guys who are ranked inside the top 40. So while they don't have any four, uh, any five-star prospects currently committed, they have a wide berth of the nation's elite players coming into this program, and that's huge. And they still have some holes to fill, though, like you said. I, I, I don't know if there's necessarily – a D lineman outside linebacker type guy that they specifically need like one position that they need, but I do think they need an edge rusher. Um, I, I look at that and think that could be JTT, the number two player in the country. 
Um, that that could be a Jonathan Flo, a, an outside linebacker who's a four-star, you know, the younger brother of Justin Flo. They could they could add both those guys. Um, I do also think that there is a need to go out and add a running back to this mix. I think it would be helpful um, because, like it or not, Verdell could go pro after this season. Travis Dye and Cyrus Abilakio as seniors next year or potentially juniors, but I don't think either of them would come back for another year. Um, and it's like, well, what do you have behind those guys? Sean Dollars has not been given many opportunities to carry the football in his two years now at Oregon. Trey Benson is a freshman. He got hurt. He didn't play this season for Oregon. Uh, Javon Wilson has not played. You have Cross Patton, who's a walk-on. Um, you have Seven McGee coming in, but Seven McGee's also more of a slot guy than a true running back. So I do think there is some value in adding a rece- another running back. And then last, uh, last but not least, like I, I don't know, Eric, though, if, if Oregon needs to go out and just overextend themselves and bring in three or four guys just because they have the space to bring in three or four sp- three or four guys. This is where it gets difficult of, can you find this caliber of a player easily next season? Or is this guy uh, someone you just have to add right away? Yeah. These are the tough decisions you have to make. And, you know, Oregon's class, we should note has taken a bit of a hit from a numbers perspective over the last couple of weeks. You mentioned Perkins or Coulter flipped to UCLA, Keon Ware Hudson, or sorry, Chiron Ware Hudson flipped to USC, a couple of losses, a couple of defections. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. I think, Matt, let's, let's, let's just end this section here. Like, are you expecting Oregon now has 20 hard verbal commitments? Um, are you expecting all 20 of those players to sign, or are there other players that maybe we should be wary of as, as signing day approaches in a few days? Um, I, I, I do get leery of like uh, Maliki Matabo, tight end from Nevada. I mean, Washington continues to hammer him home hard, but the coach that recruited him is no longer there. You know, he's indicated he's strong with Oregon, but nonetheless, you know, Washington will not give up until he is signed with Oregon. I think he will. Jalen Davies, a cornerback from Matterday high school in Southern California, USC is hitting him home really hard. Hey, stay home. We're the Pac-12 South champion. It's outright. There's no, you know, there's no disagreement there. There's there's no asterisk to that name. We're back. Yada yada yada. Um, I also get worried about players who've not been on campus before. Isaiah Bravard, a four-star receiver from Mississippi. Um, Damon David, a safety from Maryland. Uh, you, you look at those guys and think, boy, they're coming a long ways. And they've not been on campus yet at Oregon. Um, that's where I look at this and, and really wonder. I don't think they lose anybody. I think there's probably a better chance that Oregon flips somebody else from another school than Oregon going out and losing one of their verbal commitments. Um, and I I would look at you know maybe the the most likely guy that they f- maybe not flip but add is Byron Cardwell from. San Diego, the four-star running back, six foot, two hundred, three-pound guy. Oregon offered him recently. Um, that, or maybe they add a couple uh, players in the mix. Um, you know, along the offensive line, I know that Mario Cristobal has 
absolutely loved uh, junior college offensive tackle Jordan Moko. You know, an Australian plays at Snow College in Utah. Um, they had to to go away from him because of just lack of room. They filled up along the offensive line. They had other positions. Now that some spots have opened up again, do they circle back to go get a six foot five, three hundred and forty pound offensive tackle that doesn't? When you think three thirty five, you think a really huge dude, overweight. This guy looks like an NBA power forward. Um, he's huge and very athletic. And you know, I just knowing Crystal Ball and his desire to always dominate up front, it would make sense. You know, if they could find a guy like that to come right in and, and try and fill this position. So I think there's a better opportunity for Oregon to to land somebody than than lose somebody. Um signing day is Wednesday. We'll have full coverage of that as well as whoever Oregon plays, whether that's USC in the Pac-12 championship game or Colorado in I guess what would be called the the third place game. Um but looking at this list and looking at what we know on Oregon, Eric, um, do you feel like in the spring, summer, it was, hey, Oregon's going to have the best class in school history. They're still on pace for that. But has this class, like if, if nothing changes, is this class is what, what you imagined it would be? Or are you thinking it would be even higher? Like have they lived up to expectation from a recruiting standpoint this season in your eyes? I think they've certainly met expectations and, and I'd say surpass them like surpass what they were. You know, it, it, it kind of depends on when those expectations were set because when the cycle started, if you were to say they're going to sign a class that when they sign in December, it's going to be sixth nationally top of the pack 12, you know, the average star rating or the average rating is the best in program history. I would say that's incredible. Like, Heck yeah, that's 100% surpassing expectations. No one's doubting that. I think because there has been, like I said, a couple of guys who've chosen to kind of look around elsewhere and because Oregon hasn't added anybody. And again, the reason, part of the reason they didn't add anybody is there just wasn't any room to really do so until a couple of these guys decommitted recently. I think, I wouldn't say that it's disappointing by any means, like you ran through some of the numbers there and especially in the offensive side of the football. I mean, they went out and pulled in arguably the best offensive tackle out West, arguably the best wide receiver. Well, one of the best receivers out West in Troy Franklin. I know Emeka Abuya, who's going to Ohio State's higher, more highly rated, um, arguably the best quarterback out West, some of the best offensive, you know, some of the other best offensive linemen, two of the best tight ends out West um, went to the Southeast and the Northeast to grab a couple great receivers. I mean, this class, checks all the boxes, but I think the momentum has kind of been stalled out here a little bit. And this is where a signing day surprise from a positive perspective, you mentioned Cardwell, maybe a flip from other school, something like that would maybe alter things in a little different perspective. And like, it's kind of this thing where if Oregon signs these 20 guys that are committed right now on Wednesday and they are six nationally, I don't think anybody is going to be, disappointed with that but i will i will say there's going to be a contingent of the fan base that is going to be like well that's it like like where, where, where's our surprise four star and five stars that i wasn't expecting like we lost we've we, we've lost guys where are the additions that we're supposed to make it up and, and that's kind of unfair from my perspective so like i guess the way i'll put it is like 
this class undoubtedly checks the boxes. This is a class that is going to revitalize the offensive side of the football. Last couple classes have done so on defense. This one addresses basically every, not basically this one addresses every concern, every issue right. on offense. Um, but there's still now room and maybe this is what is exciting going into February. And again, part of this can be cleared up in the next couple of days, depending on how it plays out, but there will be room now going into this February period to add two, maybe three, three, maybe four guys, maybe yep. um, to this class. And depending upon who those players are, this is where that class could take that next step from being what it is right now to being something even more special. We're going to have full coverage of this throughout the week and into next week and later on on DuckTerritory.com. Highly encourage you guys to jump in on the action and subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. Save 60% off an annual membership. Uh, huge savings, under 50 bucks for the entire year or for the next, for the next year. Uh, 365 days gets you a ton of content, a ton of value, and also is the most impactful way to support this podcast to, to ensure that Eric and I continue to do these uh, almost daily right now. And we really enjoy doing them and we really enjoy the support that you guys all give us. So until we talk to you probably on Tuesday with either a basketball podcast, recruiting podcast, emergency coaching podcast. Oh no. Uh, who knows? Maybe all of that, all of the above. Uh, we will talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later, folks.